Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Now let's meet our final guest this morning and what a story she has to tell. Caroline Casey was diagnosed with ocular albinism just a few months after she was born. But rather than label her with a disability, Caroline's parents wanted her to live a life without limitations and did not tell her about the disability until her 17th birthday. But by creating a world where Caroline lived without limitations, her parents instilled a steely determination in their daughter, which manifested itself as a concerted and determined effort to utilise global CEOs to change corporate attitudes to disability. Caroline joins us now to reveal how the Valuable 500 movement is actively putting disability on the corporate agenda. Caroline, why is diversity and inclusion so important to you? Good morning and thanks so much for having me. Well, firstly, I'm a person with a lived experience of disability. I have a condition called ocular albinism, which means I'm registered legally blind. I'm part of a global family of 1.3 billion people in the world who have a disability and it is one of the biggest exclusion crises in the world. And I want to be part of making that better. And a part of my own journey to coming to accept my own disability was that I had hidden my disability for a very long time. And I came out of the disability closet when I was working for Accenture as an manager consultant. And I guess it was the time that I realized we've got to do something about this. And I believe right at the source of the problem is the fact that business is not meaningfully including and valuing people with disabilities. And your own parents took a very novel approach to your own visual impairment growing up. Talk to us about that. Novel is a very good word for it. Um, So I was born in 1971. Uh, I'm now 51 years old. Um, Diagnosed with this condition six months after I was born. And when I think it must be incredibly hard for my parents and their eldest and you know, them coming to terms with that, with my vision condition, and how was I going to grow up in the world? And I think every parent wants the best for their child, right? And they had seen the way the world treats disability and that it's seen as less than or less than perfect. And I think what my parents wanted me to do is to have a life without the limitations of other people's expectations of you through the disability. So they sent me to a mainstream school, gave me a pair of glasses, and never told me that I had a disability. And so I went through school (laughs) thinking I saw the same as any other little kid with glasses, never understanding that the reason I could never see a ball or see a wall or see another person was actually because I had a condition. And I discovered you know, the level of my condition because I wanted to drive and um, I always had this dream of kind of racing cars and motorbikes. We have lots of dreams of being a kid. And um, my mum and dad gave me a driving lesson for my 17th birthday and that's how I discovered that I should never have been on a bicycle. So yeah, that's how I discovered it was completely late in my life. I didn't understand. Um, and so when, I, when that happened to me, can you imagine you got to 17 and you didn't know you had this thing and you survived in a way. Unbelievable. So yeah, that's why I was just like, I don't want this. And I went into the disability closet. How did this belief to live a life without limitations help you throughout your adult life? <laughs> well, I think I'm a hustler and I kind of, I'm one of these people who when you fall down, you've just got to get back up again. It's kind of the family I came from. My dad was an entrepreneur. Um, I think that's in us. I think, you know, the nature of who we are as a family is always to find a way through. 
Um, and I think, let's be honest, all of us as humans, like we really have great ability to find our way around solutions. And because mum and dad never gave us an excuse to blame something else, we just have to find our way. And therefore, the work I do today is it's that same gritty determination or stubbornness or tenacity, whatever you want. You know, every time I hear no, that we can't do something, I'm like, no, bring it on. We will change this. It, it's not okay that people are left aside or marginalized or overlooked because they happen to be different. And I want to change that. And so with the valuable 500, I was told it was impossible. Who was I to think I could do that? And I'm like, seriously? Don't, don't give an Irish woman a reason to bite. And that, that was it. So talk to us about how you approach solving problems when you're faced with them. That's a great question. I think I, my first question is, well, why, what's not worked before? So I kind of have a look and see what has been done before. And um, then I have a way of going, well, if that didn't work, could this work? And in everything I've probably done is no for me is more of a challenge to say, I dare you. I dare you to do difference. And hmm. I'm, I'm laughing, and that sounds like, you know, I find it easy. I don't. It's really hard, actually. I've danced an awful lot with failure. I take failure less personally now as I get older, which is fantastic. Like, getting old is brilliant because you're not trying to please people all the time because I'm a recovering people pleaser. But I do kind of find failure as a way to say, okay, where's the bit I didn't see? Where's the bit I didn't learn? And try to kind of as I said, not take it personally and kind of find a way of going forward. And I often listen to my biggest critics. That's a brilliant thing to do, is you find what other people are saying that you don't want to hear and then find a way through that. So I listen well to criticism, I would say. What made you decide that you could facilitate change regarding diversity and inclusion? And why did you believe that the business community was the best way to set about changing mindsets? Well, there's nothing that frustrates me more than people admiring problems and just keep talking about the problem. I don't know what it is in my DNA. I just, when I see a problem, want to fix it. And certainly when it means something to see human beings unhappy. And I know what it feels like to be left out. And I know what it feels like to be on the sidelines. I think all of us do, right? Um, And so when, if I think I can do something about it, I will. But the real trigger for this particular thing, the Valuable 500, because I've been a disability activist for 23 years, was actually the death of my dad. And it was a very, you know, he died very suddenly. And it makes you examine your life and why you make excuses not to do things. And um, he said to me just before he died, you know, he says, I've always told you to be yourself and forget about what others say, you know. And actually, that's what compelled me to try the Valuable 500. And the reason that I think business is a solution, or it certainly needs to be part of the solution to ending the disability crisis that exists, is because simply that's where power lies and society follows business. Whilst 90% of companies state that they're committed to diversity and inclusion, yet only 4% of companies consider disability within that commitment. In response to this, I know you present the idea of the model market of disability. Every time I hear that stat, because that was one of the clear stats we used when we launched the Valuable 500, is like that's an inclusion delusion. Any company that tells me they're committed to inclusion and they don't include disability, like, what are you talking about? Inclusion is either all for everyone. You can't categorize inclusion into buckets of people and compete them against one or the other, right? You just, you simply can't. And so the way we look at it is either you are inclusive or you're not. 
And with disability, the way we look at it, hold on a minute, you've got 1.3 billion with a mother and a father, which is 54% of our global economy, as I said. That is worth, as very conservatively, 13 trillion in spending power. 13 trillion. But that's not, it's not even the spending power for business who are obsessed with growth. But it's also by the innovation and insight the disability community bring to companies, to products, to services. People forget the remote control was designed for blind people to watch TV. Seriously? And we all use it. That SMS texting was designed for deaf people. Stop telling me that disability is less than. It is an incredible insight into it. And that's looking at the value of this community, not only just to business, but to society. We each have off, we all have something to offer. But if you keep looking at disability as if it's less than or if it's just a medical model to be fixed, you don't see the huge wealth and expression of humanity that is existing. What are the objectives of the Valuable 500 and how did you set about turning these objectives into reality? The sole objective of the Valuable 500 is to ensure that people with disabilities and their families are valued in business and integrated and normalised in business. And the most important way that we need to make that happen is we have to get the commitment of the leaders of business. You can't change business without the leaders, right? They're some of the most powerful people in the world. CEOs can change the world in seconds and minutes in ways that politicians never can. And so what we want to do is get the biggest global partnership of the most powerful companies in the world to work together to remove the barriers that keep people with disabilities and their families out of business. That's very simply what we're here to do. And can you imagine, we are now 500 companies with 500 CEOs, some of the biggest brands in the world, and we represent 22 million employees worth 23 trillion in market cap. And we're in 41 headquarter countries in 64 sectors. Tell me that we can't make a change if we can't get these, this huge collective force to work together. So have you already noticed positive changes coming into effect as a result of that? Well, I do feel change happening. I don't know, does, do other people see it? But disability is definitely more visible. There's no doubt about it. But one of the things I'm very proud of with the Valuable 500, we broke the CEO silence. Before the Valuable 500 existed, no CEO ever spoke about disability. They spoke a little bit about gender. They spoke a little bit about race. They spoke a little bit about LGBTQIA, but they never spoke about disability. And we've broken that silence. And when you break the silence of leaders and you get their attention and their commitment to do something and you hold them to account for that, then they do it. So we're now starting to see that movement. It's not like we didn't have companies that did stuff, but it was more discretionary on the passion of individuals in the business who had a connection to disability, whereas now we're starting to see it built into the system, built into policies, built into the strategy. I know it's only a tiny beginning, but it's an awful lot better than what it was. And given the remote working revolution which has taken place since COVID-19, has this actually helped the work of the Valuable 500? It was the greatest, greatest proof point for me that business can change. So for so long, business has said, oh, disability is too complex, it's too expensive, it's too difficult, blah, 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 by all the excuses. And then the pandemic happened. And in 17 days, the business system globally went remote. It went virtual. 
because it has to. So don't tell me you can't change. The only difference with change happening and not happening is the intention and the focus and the commitment of the leaders of the companies and the companies themselves. So actually, that pandemic proved to me that it can. And that was when we literally were able to build at speed the value of 500. Because you've got to remember, we are the second biggest collective of CEOs and companies in the world after UN Global Compact. And we built it in two years and two months. And part of that was we used the pandemic (laughs) as a way to convince them. And I'm sure many of our listeners this morning have been inspired by your own personal story and your own passion. But on a micro level, do the same principles apply to the small business owner as to the large corporate when it comes to disability? The small and medium-sized businesses, particularly in Ireland, because I know Ireland well, have some of the best examples of best practice around disability inclusion. Actually, small and medium companies do it better than anyone. And that is why the Valuable 500 insisted upon companies being over a 1,000 employees. Because it seems, as the companies grow bigger, they come away from the communities to which they operate in. And they stop representing the society to which they operate in. And they lose that kind of values, or it seems to be that they lose that connection, the values. And that's where they, the, the big businesses are the ones who really need to learn. It's the small and medium companies that do better than anyone at all. And Caroline, finally, looking back at your activism work over the years, what are you most proud of achieving? I'm most proud of never giving up. And the reason I sound emotional because it's really hard. This work is really hard. And sometimes it's thankless. And sometimes you think, what am I doing? <laughs> I am so proud of never giving up. And I'm also so proud of the people that have come to work with me, come along those journeys and um, with me because that is the greatest joy of all. It's one thing having an idea, it's one thing having a vision, but it's the people that come with you and partner with you and work with you. Um, that's one of the greatest joys of all. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Caroline Casey from The Valuable 500 and this inspirational woman is certainly changing the meaning of diversity and inclusion. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast.